Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, Pat, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? This is a Rossini opera. You remember Rossini, composer of the Barber of Seville, one of opera's all-time favorite pieces, an opera buffa. This is not an opera buffa, it's an opera comique, because oh, it's in French. Ah, I was just going to ask, what's the difference? It's the French versus the Italian. Yes, uh, the, so the name of the opera is Le Comte Ori, Count Ori, and the other difference, typically opera comique, as we've discussed in the past with something like Carmen, doesn't have to be comic, and it means that some of the dialogue is spoken rather than sung. Mm-hmm. But this is Italian, it's Rossini, and it's Italian in, in heritage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rossini does give us accompaniment to all of the recitatives, so there is no spoken dialogue, it's all sung, but it is Rossini's great comic opera in the French language. Ah. It premiered in Paris in 1828. So towards the latter part of his career, uh-huh. all of the great Italian successes of Rossini have already occurred. Operas like Barber of Seville, La Cenerentola, Cinderella, Moses in Egypt, The Lady of the Lake, Semiramide. And Rossini moves to Paris. He's spent some time in London. He's a superstar. Let's just put it at this, at this point in his career, he's a superstar. He spent he's some like time. Mick Jagger. Yeah, he's he goes to London for a little while, but Paris is where he settles, and he's even given the directorship of the Théâtre Italien, where Italian language operas are performed in Paris. Uh-huh. Part of the expectation when he receives this assignment is that he will produce some new operas in the French language as well. He reworks some of his old operas, makes them French, and then... This particular opera is actually a reworking of an opera that he had premiered three years before, Il Viaggio a Rem, The Voyage to Rem, which was for the coronation of the French King Charles X. So the coronation celebration opera is still in Italian because that's his, his language that he's comfortable composing in. But just a couple of years later, he works with some very accomplished Frenchmen who write all kinds of things, including librettos, to come up with this new French opera based on an old story. We can give some more of the details later, but why don't we just launch in now to a little bit of the fun. Friends, this is a fun opera. There's no blood, <laughs> there's no death. It's just, we are having a good time. It's a pretty, you know, it's not one of these big complicated, twisted, turning plots. It's, it's really straightforward. The guy, the Comte Henri, he likes the ladies. Oh, excellent. Seeing if he can win them over. And he he dons disguises to see if he can achieve that end. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> I yes. love an opera with disguises. Yes. And he has a, a trusty buddy who helps smooth the way for him. And his very first song, Jouvencel, venez vite. Young ladies, come quickly. That's his trusty friend saying... Ladies, ladies, gather round. I need you to come quickly and listen to me. The great hermit is appearing, and you need to honor him with food and with wine and all the, really any kind of gift you can spare. And so... Okay, wait. 
Yes. He's a hermit? Did I mention he's in disguise? Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay. The great <laughs> hermit. He's, uh, I mean, because really, if you want to get the ladies, the way to do that is to dress up like a hermit, right? If you want the ladies to drop their defenses, perhaps it is. Oh, I see. Oh, he's tricky. He's a wily one, this Comte de Right. And the other piece of this, I said there was no, no death, no blood. The background to this is that it's during set during the time of the Crusades. So we're in ah, France okay. during the time of the Crusades. Which everybody knows was like the Crusades in the hundreds. <laughs> well, they say it's set around the year 1200, which would be the latter part of the Crusades. But the original story that it's based on is from earlier than that. And there were multiple Crusades lasting two centuries doesn't matter none of that matters just quote unquote during the crusades it's just an excuse to get most of the men of the area out of the picture he wants to eliminate the competition well i mean they're just gone because they've gone on these crusades so really the only guy around is count Henri and his buddies his knights because he's a count Mm -hmm. and so he has knights who've sworn fealty to him and they're just kind of out causing trouble they're just carousing yeah that's what rabble rousing Uh uh-huh shenanigans (laughs) so so he's pretending to be a hermit to uh and uh, well we'll talk more later but let's go ahead and hear the song from his buddy rambo from his but yes exactly from his buddy rambo who is going to tell ladies ladies gather around oh and Bring some basket of food and bring some wine. Yeah, bring some snacks. Come (laughs) hang out with us. The hermit's gonna appear. Bring some snacks and some booze.
for everyone and we are listening to Le Comte Ori an opera by Joaquino Rossini and we've just heard from Rambo who I Pat with your permission am going to refer to as Rambo <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say that sure because Rambo and Rambo are pretty close pretty close and then that affords me the opportunity to make Sylvester Stallone jokes okay great well Rambo Rambo he appears prominently right here, and we'll see him a little more later, really mostly in the second act, but Rambo away. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so so Rambo's basically uh, said, hey guys, the hermit is coming. It's hey, time ladies. for a party. Yeah, l- exactly. <laughs> ladies, uh, th- we're having a party. There's going to be a hermit. Isn't that exciting? Bring well, your snacks. I mean, <laughs> he's not... He's not advertising it as a party. It's more like, pay, after all, how does a, a hermit live separated from the rest of the world most of the yeah. time? He donations. on donations and charity. And so it's paying homage to the hermit. Because during the medieval period, you need to remember, religious figures, the work of prayer was considered more important than the work of the farmer. They oh. were serving the community through prayer. Now, none of that particularly comes through in this story, but just a little backdrop as to why the peasants would be giving up uh, generous offerings of food stuff and wine to the hermit and, and his men, who theoretically are also religious men, because the, that work was considered as slash more important than even the work of the farmer. Okay. So they, they aren't going to want to smooch the hermit, but they are going to come and bring snacks and wine and come and meet him and as you said their defenses will be down their defenses will be down and this uh rambo (laughs) is telling the women this hermit is so powerful and so wise he will find husbands for you all which would of course be something on their minds if all the men are away at the crusades ah yeah because they need a they need a kiss and a cuddle while the while the guys are off well crusading that's what these guys are thinking Oh, they're they're humanitarians, Pat. I don't think so. <laughs> okay, but but we digress. And then we get to meet Ragond, who is the lady in waiting, the close friend of the countess of the castle. Right now, this castle is they're just outside this castle. 
Mm-hmm. And so this Ragond sticks her head out the window, basically, and says, Oh, the great hermit is coming. My lady, the Countess Adele, she's so sad. She will seek counsel from him. And meanwhile, you know, Rambo's going, Ha ha, everything's going according I've to plan. I've got you, my pretty. Because needless to say, the Count Henri would like to, uh, to get close to the Countess Adele. Mm, yes. So it's time for this well-introduced count slash hermit to appear. It's comic opera. He's dressed up like a hermit, a comic hermit. He's, he's mugging it up the whole way. He will tell the entire crowd, may heaven welcome your prayers. And he's, he's doing this faux religious piety and all the women are just like, oh, he's so, he's so wise. He's so smart. He'll be so helpful. He's going to help us find husbands. So he's winning over the crowd at this point. And after that melodic introduction where he shows his piety, it's going to transition into something that Rossini does so well into a patter song where he talks to the women about their wishes and how he's going to help them fulfill them and mm-hmm. it's it it is actually a super fun bit to listen to so we're going to listen to both of those pieces that the count will sing for us and you'll hear some of the other characters as well Toujours avec vous, oui. Sois toujours, toujours 
He's getting them all frothed up. He's promising them things. He's like, hey, I'm going to make your world so great. This is going to be awesome. We are going to rage here. We're going to party. And, and they the all world reply, is going to be great. <laughs> and they all reply, the village pays homage to you. They are so respectful. And the, the lady-in-waiting to the countess says, oh, yes, the countess, she is having a a moment of melancholy and she wants to consult you she's having a hard time right she's feeling some feelings well just after this song we have um quite a bit of backstory being filled in we learn at this point we're told as the audience we're told that her brother is the man of the castle so it's not her husband it's her brother her brother is the one who's away and she and all the women have promised to lock themselves up inside the castle and live lives of widowhood. In other words, celibate and away from the rest of the world and not have interactions with men. Well, I mean, a hermit and holy men, that's a different thing entirely. So it's interesting how they have set this up. I think this is probably a good time to identify our two librettists, Eugène Scribe, who wrote many, many things for the theater, and Charles Gaspard de Lestre Poisson. They worked together to rewrite a piece that they had done 
as a vaudeville. And I only knew vaudeville oh. previously as the American phenomenon. Yeah. Sort of a variety show of yeah. song and comic bits. But vaudeville actually originates in France. And it's not entirely the variety show that we tend to think of when we think of vaudeville, but it is shorter comic pieces without a lot of moralizing, just pure entertainment, just fun, funny. And so there was a very popular vaudeville that Scribe had written, which based itself on a medieval legend of this Count Henri. So he he existed already as a, as a character in medieval legend prior to any of this, prior to Scribe getting a hold of him, whether for his own vaudeville or for Rossini's libretto. And that familiarity with this legend is part of what the audiences bring to the opera when they go see it. Ah, so it's like seeing an old fairy tale that they've known their whole life or something. A little bit like that. And in the vaudeville that Scribe had written just... I think less than 10 years prior, it was extremely popular, but much, much more bawdy. Because it's a one act piece and the one act is really our act two in the opera. And there's an introductory Mm -hmm. song that refers to the Count dressing up as a hermit, which is then acted out in our full on opera here. Act one is made out of this introductory song, but in it, it's not a countess who is the object of his amorous affections. She's a nun. She's a mother superior, and it's a, what? It's a con- and it's a convent. So the Count and his men are going after a convent full of nuns. Wow, that seems very ambitious. So, well, I mean, it's, it's more scandalous, and to the audience, more entertaining, it would seem. And, and also, in that story, nine months after the Count visits... The convent is blessed with many babies. Oh my. <laughs> the French. <laughs> well, I don't know. But it was it was popular and this is, you know, some small number of years later that Rossini engages Scribe and his partner to rework this story, make it a little more acceptable. It has to pass a thing called the opera jury because this is a not uh, performed at Teatro Italien or even at the Opera Comique. It's it's presented at the Paris Opera. So they, they make it a little more acceptable for public consumption. Highbrow. Yeah. Mm. So is this an appropriate time to say that these two remind me, uh, the, the Contori and uh, Rambo remind me of slightly less evil versions of Don Giovanni and Leporello? I think you should hold on to that thought. I mean, first of all, as I said, there are no deaths in this one, so that's a big distinction with this and Don Giovanni. But I, I think there's going to be a different character who's going to fit the Leporello mold. But a little bit, yeah. A little bit. Uh, I, I think I think that's that's an okay thing to have in your head. I mean, would would we characterize the Contori as a Lothario? Oh, for sure. Or a Plea? He's oh, like most assuredly. He's kind of yes. slimy. He's kind of slimy. Oh yeah. I mean, the whole he's kind of slimy. He's kind of doesn't think of the women as people. He thinks of them as conquests. So yeah, when you think of the Leporello song from Don Giovanni where he's counting off the conquests and all these different, I'm sure, you know, the same thing could be said. But but we haven't yet met the page to Count Henri. This is just his his buddy. Mm-hmm. A, an important character in the story. We're, we're gonna, actually, we're going to meet two more characters in the story. Are you ready to meet them? Yes. 
It's the tutor and the page. The tutor okay. is just called the tutor. And mm -hmm. the page is Isolier. So Isolier is one of these young men who, as you might imagine, knowing opera... It's is a trouser roll. Yes, exactly. It's a mezzo. Written as a trouser roll. It's a mezzo playing this young page. And so after this big scene that we've just described, everyone vacates the stage and enter this tutor and the page. And they're both looking for their master. And let's meet the tutor a little bit more. He's a bass. He's an older man who has a certain role to play, the teacher role. Although we never really get to see him do this because he's kind of let us know right up front that he's doing this. He's out looking for the count because his master, who is the Count's father, the prince, has sent him out to find his wayward son, who's always up to trouble, who's always doing things that he shouldn't be doing. Mm. So he's going to sing a piece called Always Alert, Always Watching, Always Alert, Always Anxious. Basically, there's no upside to my job, except for the fact that I get to work in a lofty position. I'm always on edge because I have this charge who doesn't abide by any of the rules. And he's yeah. going to talk out. He's just always trying to rein in someone who can't be reined in. He's hurting cats. He's, it's so true. And we're also going to meet Isolier, the page. And the page is, I mean, the page reminds me in tiny bits. I mean, as long as we're referencing Mozart operas, the page reminds me a tiny bit of oh, Carabino. Carabino. Who is just besotted. Sweet and lovely. He's not like Carabino in that he's not, He's not after every lady he sees. He loves the Countess Adele, who he tells us right up front is his cousin. Keeping it in the family. Oh, you know, cousin, that was not unusual. <laughs> so I mean, this is the 1200s. Isolier is going to let us know how, how much he fancies his cousin. But we'll talk more about Isolier after we hear a little bit from the tutor and the difficulties he faces. <laughs> Oh, 
an opera by Rocchino Rossini, an opera for everyone. And we've just heard from the tutor who is chasing after his charge, the Comte Ori. And he's like, I am too old for this crap. <laughs> That's exactly he's right. Like, <laughs> he's like, I am, I'm an educated man. I'm a hard worker. I'm a good person. I don't <laughs> deserve to have to chase this kid around while he's up to no good and all the shenanigans and just trying to get his hands on the ladies and his dad pays me and that's great and everything but this is this is this is a bunch about i'm not into it <laughs> you nailed it that that is an excellent summation of what just happened so these two are talking and uh in comes a whole bunch of uh, village women and they're twittering and talking about this wonderful man and the minute he they're sees twittering in a 12 they're twittering in a crusades fashion uh, they're not uh, on their on their social media accounts. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's exactly no social media. They are talking to one another in an animated fashion about this <laughs> amazing man they have just spent time with, the hermit. He's so wonderful. He's so charming, which is not necessarily something hermits are known for, but this is a very charming hermit. <laughs> and Apparently. The, the minute he sees all these young ladies coming in excitedly, the tutor goes, oh, I must be in the right place if there are all these happy women. The Count Ori must be nearby. He knows. He knows how this guy yeah. operates. Right. And so he starts to speak to one of the young women, Alice, and asks a little bit about this man they're speaking of. And she says, oh, he's the hermit. He's wonderful. He's been here about a week. That nails it. Suspicions confirmed. Because that's the same amount of time that the Count Ori has been missing from home. Right. I found you. Meanwhile, he asks where he can find him, and Isolier has heard all of this, and he's like, oh, a wise man? Perhaps he can tell me how to win the affections of my cousin Adele. Mm-hmm. Isolier, the page, sees the wise man who can counsel him and solve his problems, just as the Lady Aragon had suggested Adele wanted to have the hermit solve her problems of loneliness and melancholy. So where is this going, Pat? I don't know. 
So now it's time for the hermit to appear. Wink, wink. It's the Count Ari, and he's back. And he learns of Isolier's wish to have his cousin fall in love with him. And Ari's thinking, ooh, this is interesting. I can definitely use this information. Yeah. So just while the Count is thinking, this is going to work out just fine, Isolier helps even further. He says, Hermit, you must tell the Countess that the solution to her problems is, is love. She needs to fall in love with me. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Count's like, well, yes, certainly she needs to fall in love. Aside with me. <laughs> so, yeah. So at just about this moment, the Countess herself appears. And she is surprised to see Isolier. She says, well, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I, I came to consult with the great hermit to guide me and offer me sage advice. And they all decide they're just going to pray for the, the unfortunate. As oh, yes. Working their own. Yes, everyone's got, everyone's feeling some feelings and they got to pray. And we're going to get some feelings expressed by the Countess. Well, we'll play a little bit of her introductory song where she, she tells us of her her melancholy. She is beset by melancholy and she wants to let us know about this. So this is the Countess Adele.
So the Comtesse Adèle has unburdened herself, asking the wise hermit to ease her pain. And of course, this wise hermit is like, hey, I am sensitive ponytail guy. I've got, I've got a guitar. I'm going to play my guitar. I'm going to listen to you, girl. I got you. I am wise and I am here for you. So just come sit right next to me. I'll play my guitar. You can stroke my ponytail while I'm extremely sensitive <laughs> and listening to your feelings. And and I know what will help you. You need I to can fall in love. Yes. Yes, I can solve your problems. If you fall in love, you if you fall in love, you the melancholy will no longer overcome you and mm-hmm. you can you can release the sadness. Yes. It'll be amazing. And she says, but I, but I took a vow with my women to stay here cloistered in this castle. And he says, I, the holy hermit, will release you from that vow. God mm. understands. God is a, he's a, he's a kind and compassionate God. Well, he has released her and the way she interprets his advice and this release from the vow is, oh, good. 
I can be in love with the man that I truly love. Dear Isolier, I love you. Oh, so she loves him too. She does. Aha. Uh-huh. But she has Okay, been, the plot thickens. She has been true to her vow that she gave. Most of her women, her close ladies in waiting, are married women whose husbands are off with her brother on the crusades. And she she kind of lets loose this passion that she feels for Isolier. And Isolier is watching from a certain distance. And he doesn't see the duplicity in the hermit. He's just thankful that the hermit has done all this. And he is thrilled. Poor Isolier. So at this point, the Count Henri realizes that he's got a real problem on his hands because he's let her loose from her vow and these two people actually do seem to be in love with each other. Yeah, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. Let's put that back in the box. Let's <laughs> put exactly it back in the box. Right. It's exactly right. And around this time, the tutor wanders in because mm-hmm. he's looking for Ori and he knows he's likely yeah. to be around and he suspects already that Ori is this hermit that the village women were saying such nice things about. And guess what? He finds him. The opera disguise does not fool the tutor, and he realizes that this is his charge. This is the Count Ori. And we get Ori into this box where he really can't escape. He has to take off his disguise which, you know, depending on the production, it's, you know, it's, it's the usual thing with an opera where it's very, very little is moved, <laughs> removed from the costume. And, and there he is. He's like, yes, I am the Count Ori. And the villagers are scandalized beyond word. How could he? But he did. And we get this amazing bit at the end where... Everyone is singing what they're feeling. The villagers are furious at him. Oh, it's your favorite, Pat. Oh my gosh, we're going to have so much good music here. So I I think I'm just going to introduce a, a bunch of this by saying that Isolier is furious that this person who was trying to help him was actually trying to undermine him. And guess what? It's his master, the Count Ori. Mm. Mm-hmm. To whom, by the way, Isolier is not all that subservient. He's not, he's not a supremely devoted page. So we get everybody singing about all of these, all of these things going along. I think we should just, I think we should just listen to this, this bit, knowing that it's just a little bit of chaos here at the end as the count is unmasked, but the Count lets us know, show's not over yet. He's going to work another plan. Uh-huh. He's wily. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we've just heard from the uh, chorus, and they're all talking about their feelings, and that was a lovely little a cappella version, Pat, of the crowd reacting to Le Comte's reveal. It's the chorus, it's all of our principals, everyone is sharing what they're feeling. The Countess, Isolier, Alice, and Ragond are saying, oh terror, oh extreme pain, what an unworthy ploy, my heart beats with dread, with horror terror seizes my heart so they're just feeling turned upside down from this whole thing and Count Ari is singing about his great pain at having his plans foiled Mm. and the tutor on the other hand is quite pleased with himself because he has unmasked this badly behaved count who is his charge right yeah. So that's the, and this goes on and on, and that's the a cappella bit. Isn't that unusual for us to hear such an intense yeah, piece without the orchestra helping out? Like pitch perfect with the Barden Bellas there, their little a cappella group. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if they ever did this piece. <laughs> no, I'm guessing it. no. It wasn't a mashup of like a Britney Spears tune and uh, Ario Speedwagon. Well, for our final little bit of act one, we are gonna conclude, this almost feels like it should be the end, but there's one piece of information that is gonna come in to the scene in the form of a letter handed to the Lady Ragonde. And she, and this is what we're gonna listen to right here to take us out to the end of the first half. She is gonna say, oh look, this, this letter, it comes from distant countries. It must bring news of our husbands. 
Oh, the Crusaders. Yes. And so she hands it to the Countess Adele. And her brother has written, Dear lady and sister, the crusade is over. And we shall be back in our homeland once again. We have been victorious. We have won. Now, anyone who knows the history of the Crusades knows that this is probably not terribly historical, but the Crusades are merely a background to this opera, just a reason to get these men out of town, a reason for these women to take a vow of celibacy and Mm -hmm. withdrawal from the world. So we've just declared the Crusades over. They're coming back. They're claiming victory because why not? It's just a play. (laughs) And just at the end of this scene, remember our wily Count Henri? He's going to let us know, because we're in on the joke with him. Well, I at least still have one day to make a plan, and plan I will. He's a wily one, that count. Yes, he is. All right, so let's listen to this last piece of the first act of Le Comte Henri by Rossini. Thank <laughs> you. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, and me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Joaquino Rossini's Le Conte Ori, an opera comique. A French opera from that great Italian composer. And because we are starting out the second half of today's episode, it's time for the Opera Helmet Quiz. Well, first, why don't you tell us who the performers are? Good idea. The performers in the version of the opera that we're listening to today are Count Ori is sung by Hugh Rees Evans, Rambo, his friend, is sung by Luca Salsi, the Count's tutor is sung by Wojciech Gierlach, Countess de Formortier is Linda Gerard, Countess Adele, and then uh, Ragonde, who is her companion, is Gloria Montanari, Isolier, the page, is sung by Luisa Islam Alizade, and Alice, a young peasant girl, is sung by Sofia Solovi. And this opera was recorded in 2002 in Bad Wildbad, Germany, with Brad Cohen conducting and performed by the Czech Philharmonic Choir and Chamber Soloists. Thank you to all of the performers who created this lovely recording that we're using today. And Kaylee, now it's time for the opera helmet is, quiz. Okay, now it's time. Catch us um, up on Act One. Okay, so the action of today's opera takes place during the Crusades around 1200 of the Common Era, presumably in France. Yes, in France. And our main character is a young Lothario named Count Ori, who is very appealing to the ladies, and it's lucky for him because he really likes them, and his accomplice, Rambo. And the object of his affection is Countess Adele, who is accompanied by her companion, Ragonde. The opera begins with the introduction of Rambo, comes in and says, Hey, everybody, get ready! Ladies, pack a picnic basket. Bring a, bring a bottle of wine or a or a flask <laughs> of wine or something. There's going to be a hermit coming to town, and he's super wise, and he can solve all your problems and find you husbands and 
do all these great things. So you should come and pay homage to the hermit who's coming. And the ladies are all excited because it's a great honor to have a, a hermit come to town, apparently. And they're also really excited because all the men are at the crusades and so they're lonely. You know, I guess even a, a hermit is appealing when you're in that situation. So they get all excited. So the hermit is actually the count in disguise. And he comes and he, to great fanfare, entertains the crowd and says, I'm going to solve all your problems. I'm going to find you a husband everything's going to be great let's party basically and he's like the original hype man of the of the uh, 13th century apparently and so the news of this hermit spreads spreads through the town quickly and he's this great hermit and whatever which is lucky for his tutor who is charged by the count's father the prince to take care of this kid who is wayward and just kind of up to shenanigans all the time and so the count has this tutor who's also like his minder kind of um and so the tutor hears of this hermit and he's like yep that's him he's no hermit that's the count and so he goes in search of him and he finds him speaking with um Isolier, who is the page and Isolier is in love with uh the countess adele who is his cousin, but that's not creepy because it's the 1200s and whatever, nobody cares. And so um, <laughs> Isolier has told the hermit, AKA the count, that he's in love with Adele. The Countess Adele has told the hermit that she's in love with Isolier and, and both of them think that all of their problems will be solved if they can just be together with the other person and the hermit says, yes, yes, love will cure your melancholy, Countess Adele. And in his mind, of course, he's thinking, I'm going to love you and you're going to love me. But Isolier has different plans. Obviously, he wants to be with Adele. And then, so this is a conversation they're having when the tutor comes in and says, hey, what's going on here? There's a hermit, I heard. And Adele sings a big song about her feelings, and, and, and then the tutor reveals that actually this is not a hermit at all. This is the Count, Ori. And then the entire chorus of people sing this a cappella song about how they're all shocked and appalled, and what are they going to do, and the world is coming crumbling down. And then that's basically the end of Act One. Right, and they receive word that the Crusades are over. Oh, yes, I forgot that part. all the men of the castle are returning. Are going to return, and the Count is like, I better get to work quick because I got, I got to, I got to make I got one day, on we, th we think maybe the letter, yeah, we think maybe the letter arrived one day before all the Crusaders will return home. So right. I have one day to work another plan. Yeah, but I think I got most of the plot points. I think you did great. And... Just a reminder of what I said in the first half, that this story is based on an old medieval legend. From that legend, the librettist here had made a vaudeville, which, by the way, comes from the expression in French, voix de vie, like the, the voice of the village, the voice of the city. Oh. That's a little tidbit there. <laughs> but the vaudeville the one-act play, the comic one-act play. The countess wasn't a countess. She was a mother superior, and all the women were nuns. Oh, that's instead right. Of being the ladies-in-waiting. And also, it was just this half that we're about to hear 
and the story of him pretending to be a hermit was just told in a song that Ragonde sang. So it was dramatized here, and now we're getting to see what was this very popular French vaudeville, although with a little bit of changes just to tone it down a bit for the more serious setting of the Paris opera. It did have to be passed by the opera jury as an appropriate libretto to present to opera goers. But it gets kind of wild. <laughs> okay, so what's going to what's gonna happen in the second half? Before I go into the second half, could we just speak about Rossini for a moment? Because we've, yeah. we've mentioned him before as one of our trio of great bel canto composers. Rossini, Donizetti, Bellini. And Rossini is very interesting because he is incredibly prolific. And he actually lives longer than the others. He's born in 1792 and lives until 1869. But he stops composing, and he composes a great many operas, but his very last opera is composed in 1829. So it's more than 40 years he goes at the end of his life without composing more operas. He composes little pieces of music, and there's great debate about that. Probably ill health is the is the explanation as to why he yeah. doesn't compose any further operas and take charge of great opera companies, as you might expect him to do. It's not that he got really into, like, Candy Crush or something. No, started no, playing, not at all. Started playing Scrabble a lot. <laughs> well, I can't vouch for that. But he spends not all, but a, a, a significant portion of his the remainder of his life up till his death in Paris, where he's had this huge success with the opera-loving public. He is, as we said in the beginning, a superstar. He is mm -hmm. beloved. Even Richard Wagner comes to see Rossini and pay him court and shower him with praise. Wow. Yeah, because we know he was not a man who did that insincerely. And, and also, he and his wife held in Paris when they lived there they held uh, these salons, these, these gatherings of intellectuals and artists that they called their samedi soir, their, their Saturday night salons. And mm -hmm. it was really the high point of Parisian social life to be part of these great salons, these soirees mm -hmm. that Rossini and his wife held. And he would, he would perform a little bit. He would play and act out and sing some of his pieces, but um, but no more operas after 1829. And remember, the, uh, Comte d'Ori that we just talked about was this great smashing comic success in 1828, but his grand opera that he produces in Paris the next year, is, which is his final opera, that's Guillaume or William Tell. Ah, uh, right, okay. So we're gonna have to get around to that one on opera for everyone. Eventually. In the future, yeah, so. So it's, it's interesting. And the other point to mention that, again, we, we mentioned briefly in the beginning, but I'll, I'll say it again here. This music is not entirely original to Le Comte Ori. A good portion of it first appears in this piece that he wrote. He called it an occasion piece. It was for the occasion of the coronation of the French king, Charles X, um, the, the voyage to Rheims, which is the site of the coronation for the king. Mm-hmm. And he loved it. And it's actually very funny. At one point, while he's still alive, his publisher publishes all of his catalog of the Rossini music. And Rossini is completely distraught. He's like, I thought the ones that I didn't like would just disappear forever. And I could pick the bits of music 
and essentially rescue them from the fiasco that was some of these past operas that I didn't fully think were great. Oh. I like what are you doing, publisher? Ricordi, of course. Ricordi was the was the publisher. Like he was not pleased with that because he thought it was his music after all. It's not as though he plagiarized, it was his own music and he rescued them from and he and he's famous for that, for reusing pieces, because it's not like you could call it up on Spotify or stream it on YouTube. It once something played, if it didn't continue to be played, it was it was gone. Except for the publisher right. had the written music. <laughs> Interesting. And I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna share one other comment. Uh, speaking of the music that that makes up Le Comte, uh, Berlioz, you remember him, our our mm-hmm. great composer. We did Toyin that he was his opera, but he composed lots of other music, non-operatic music. He says uh, Le Comte Henri consists of a collection of diverse beauties, which, if divided up ingeniously, would suffice to make the fortune of not one, but two or three operas. Interesting. Huge praise heaped on Rossini for this opera, which, let's be honest, is not very well known currently in the operatic repertoire, certainly in the United States that I'm familiar with. No, I had never heard of it before you suggested that we do it. But the the thing that surprises me about that is there isn't like this is a fairly short opera so if he's saying that there's enough music here for two or three operas what does that mean not quantity quality there are enough gems enough beauties within this opera that that they could be the centerpiece of two or three operas not just oh one. i see in other words okay. the quality level of the music he said was very high for this particular piece. And one scholar that I read said, this is the wittiest, most stylish, and most urbane of all comic operas. Pretty high praise for Very. a well-known piece. Yeah, well, I love the the plot. It's funny. It's easy. And it's it's been argued that it's it just suits the French opera-going audience of his day. The urbanity of it, the, the wittiness of the... Of the devilish cad basically who Mm -hmm. honestly doesn't end up causing that much harm I don't mean to to be a spoiler here but I told you there's no blood there's just no grievous harm whatsoever caused it's just it ends up being fine and everyone has a good time well shall we continue then Pat oh let's do (laughs) so how does this so we've wrapped up the first half of today's show with the finale of act one where does act two begin it begins in the chambers of the countess Adele, and she's with ragond lady ragond and all the other ladies in waiting and they are essentially breathing a sigh of relief that they have escaped the sinister and immoral plans of the comte Henri and his men and they are counting their blessings counting their minutes they are recommitting themselves to their vow of staying away from men. And mm-hmm. it's not even, at this point, it's not referred to that their men are imminently due. That's just been, that seed was planted at the end of the last act. And, and we remember it, though they do not refer to it. And as they are breathing a sigh of relief and recommitting themselves to virtue, a storm starts up. And you can hear the storm in the orchestra playing, and it's 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 
hailing and they comment on the hail and the wind and the rain and the lady Aragond and the countess comment on the fact oh we're so glad we're safe inside here but but think of poor pilgrims going to make their journeys and show their piety think of them out unprotected in the rain so can you imagine what happens now i'm gonna guess that a poor pilgrim sopping wet from the rain comes in and asks for their help but it's not really a pilgrim (laughs) you're too clever you're too clever in fact in the first act at one point when Isolier is trying to think how to get close to the countess, he tells the hermit, the count disguised as the hermit, he tells the hermit, maybe I should, should dress up as a lady pilgrim and, and ask for assistance from the countess. Mm-hmm. So obviously, le comte Henri has tucked this away in his head. But it's not just le comte Henri. It's le comte Henri and all of his men dressed up like female pilgrims. Oh my so you gosh. have the entire male chorus dressed up like women along with our leading character. <laughs> and, and they are asking ever so kindly for the great lady to offer them shelter and bring them within her castle. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
have they wooed her, Pat? Were they successful in getting her shelter and support? They have admitted all the pilgrims in, the pilgrimesses. And it's interesting, she, Countess Adele, asks the Lady Ragonde, are there many ladies? She says, well, they're, they're about 14. And what age are they? Oh, about 40 years old. And, and what do they look like? She says, they're, they're not very attractive women. Oh, gosh. So we're, we're all having a lot of fun with this. <laughs> and, and when she says one of them in particular would like to speak to you, that's when she, she meets, of course, the Count Ori in disguise. And this is part of the opera that it's just fun because she brings this, this woman, this old, ugly woman, essentially, into her home to give her shelter. And he takes her hand and he puts it against his face and thanks her. And her, the expressions of thanks that this pilgrim gives to the countess are a little too cozy. They're a little too forward. It's a little odd to receive that sort of thanks from a woman that you've helped out. So it's a little, she's thinking this is odd, but she's, but she's, not, she's not thinking it's the dastardly count after her again. She's just thinking this is a little odd. She's kind of pulling away just a tiny bit, but but still offering protection from the storm. Sure. So, of course, the pilgrims are hungry from their travels. Right. And she says, well, no problem. You ladies, I will bring you milk and fruit. Because, after all, what do women want more than milk and fruit, right? And these men are like, we'd like some meat, but I guess we can't say that. (laughs) So... It's a little it's a little odd and they're just playing around and having a good time. And this next piece that we're going to play is a lovely duet with the countess and the count Ori dressed as a pilgrim where she is talking about her problems because after all these holy people who come to visit her and she encounters she unburdens her heart to them. So she's unburdening her heart to this holy woman to say, I want love, but I want a sincere lover. And I had this terrible experience with this awful man who pretended to be someone who he wasn't. And the pilgrimess, Count Ori, tries to, tries to advise her. Will 
tentative, c'est donc un to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are hearing the Comte Ori, an opera by Rossini. And we've just heard the Countess Adele unburdening her heart to the lovely, pious pilgrim woman who has appeared at her doorstep in the middle of a storm, along with 13 other not very attractive pilgrim ladies. (laughs) This is a silly opera. So they have finished their conversation and she tells uh, the, the lead pilgrimess that uh, I will have <laughs> milk and fruit brought to you. It's a, it's, a, it's a proper meal for holy and devout people, a simple repast that will sustain you. Well, you can just imagine what's coming, right? The, the, the count and his companions, which by the way include the tutor, the tutor has been roped into this, not terribly ah. willingly, but he's not going to reveal the count this time. He is grumbly, but he's going along with it. Mm-hmm. And now we have an opportunity to see the count and all his men, not entirely convincingly, dressed as women, as they are brought milk and fruit to eat. And what, of course, do they want to go with their milk and fruit even more than meat? Uh, ale or wine. They want some wine. <laughs> and they're, they're kind of complaining about it. Rimbaud has decided to take matters into his own hand, however. He doesn't just sit there and say, gosh, I wish I had some wine. He thinks, hmm, this is a castle. There's a great lord who owns this castle. Surely there must be a wine cellar somewhere. 
Oh dear. He's gone on the hunt and he's returned victorious. And then what happens? What do you think happens? I think that they start to drink and they maybe get a little bit drunk and then their costumes come off and it's revealed that they're not act- Not quite that far. You, you, you started out correctly. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Rambaud singing about his success in pillaging the wine cellar and then we'll, then we'll come back and introduce, of course, the drinking song. But this is right now, this is Rambo coming back successful from the hunt for wine. C'est le seul moyen d'être digne de parimètre Je veux reconnaître ces manoirs de taille Je parle, je m'oriente, mes yeux se présentent Et les chambres élégantes, ce sont les deux travaux Une arme jolie, de la tapisserie Et près d'une broderie, je perçois un roman Mais mon une chambrette, j'ai dans une cachette Qui revoir l'historiette du beau tir en le camp Je vois cette Aquitaine et ma vue incertaine s'égale et content. Là, je vois l'Allemagne et s'y prenne l'Espagne, la vraie vie de Champagne, nous jouons de passion. C'est drôle, c'est chameau. Hésite au trouble extrême et au double rite chème. Et sur la voie moi-même et contemplant l'ennemi, où en sort, j'ai mes lances sans compter, je commence. J'attaque avec vaillance à la pauvre pays. Sans compter, je commence. J'attaque avec vaillance. J'attaque avec vaillance à la pauvre pays. À la pauvre Okay. 
returned with wine, victorious, and, and the men are all carousing and getting drunk. Absolutely, and they are listening to his song, which is a song that, it's like a parody of a soldier coming back from the wars, telling of his exploits. Except in this case, Rambo's exploits are searching the castle. For wine. And creeping up on these bottles of wine from different countries, from different counties. He's conquered all of these bottles, and he is bringing back the spoils of war to his companions. Yes, and he's like, they drew first blood. (laughs) Well, the men do have the good taste to, uh, to give thanks and toast the master of the castle who laid in these stores for them. And we have the the leader, Count Ori, invites them all to enjoy the spoils of Rambo's victory. They all get to delight in what he has procured for them. And the next song simply starts with an invitation, an exhortation to drink. Libiamo. And so, well, we're not in Italian. We're it's French. not Italian. So this is the drinking Bouvon. song. Bouvon. 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 Let's drink. It's the drinking song of this opera. And just picture it with a whole bunch of rough Men dressed as women. Guys dressed up like female pilgrims. These not so attractive women who have come to seek shelter from the countess. Having a lot of fun They're drinking a lot of <laughs> sounds fabulous. <laughs> Yeah. Hey. 
seeking shelter are now singing a drinking song does that raise any red flags for anybody i mean are they playing twister or the limbo are they dancing has people started to remove their clothing what's happening here the clothing stays on but it, it still isn't fully covering up their men's clothing underneath and yes the Lady Ragond comes to see what's up. She's like, what's of, going on here? One of them was paying enough attention to say, quick, quick, someone's coming. So in a not very convincing fashion, they all get down on their knees and and try to sing prayers together. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. They have tried to convince the Lady Ragond who is suspicious that, that they are sincere female pilgrims giving thanks for the shelter, for the repast, for everything they can think of. She doesn't really press it too hard with them, honestly. Yeah. But it's just like this entire opera is just an opportunity to set up 
these funny moments. <laughs> so it, basically, it sounds like my entire life, like everything you can do. It's just like, oh, that'll be funny. Yeah. And, and it is accompanied by this glorious music. It's so much fun and it's so nice to listen to. And this is one of those ones I think that's very hard to find being performed near you. You can certainly pull it up to stream as something nice to listen to or to have a, uh, a CD of it. It's the music itself is is worthwhile and now that you know the story you can have you can have fun with it. <laughs> so there is just a little bit more story to go. Okay, so Ragond comes in. She more or less lets them get away with it, although she's not entirely convinced, but she decides not to not to cause trouble because they, they are off on their own. They're not really causing trouble here. And now we're gonna get to what might be the highlight of this opera. And certainly one, already in this opera, we have some gender bending moments. We have the trouser role, which is the page, Isolier, mm -hmm. who is mm -hmm. the cousin who is in love with the countess. Mm -hmm. And we have the men who are dressed up as women in order to get close to the women. And this is all going to have this enormous crescendo in a way. This gender bending concept is going to have a crescendo where Isolier is going to come in to the countess's chambers. We're in a new scene now. And Isolier is going to express his affection for the countess, and it's mutual, recall. So she's quite happy to hear these words of affection, and she knows her brother is coming back soon, and so she will truly be released from her vow of staying away from men that she did in, oh, yeah. in support of her ladies and respect for them. Right. And this is going to set us up for a very interesting scene where they have just sort of set things straight between themselves, the Countess and Isolier, who love one another. The lights are low. And who comes in but the leader of the pilgrimesses, Count Ori, mm -hmm. dressed as the pilgrim, who wants to show her gratitude to the lady. And Isolier has figured this all out because Isolier knows that it was his plan all along all right to dress up like a woman to get close to the countess and he knows instantly although he didn't know when it when the count was dressed up like a hermit he knows instantly in this act in this setting that the count yeah. is dressed up like the the female pilgrim and yeah he's like fool me once yeah shame on you fool me <laughs> Fool me twice, you're not going right. to fool me again. And particularly when you steal the idea that I originated. Is, right. Remember, it was Isolia's idea. So it is a, a triumph of staging when this is done well, that you're going to have this, this scene where they're all together in this scene, but the, the lights are low, and so... The Countess is great, quite grateful for Isolier's affections. And the Count thinks that every time he touches someone in, a, in an amorous way, he's touching the Countess. But in fact, it's Isolier. So when I talk about the gender bending, right, we have the Countess is the Countess. So that's straightforward. When you, <laughs> you have 
the mezzo-soprano, the female, playing a male who's now pretending to be the countess, a woman. Right. And you have the amorous Count Henri pretending to be a woman, but seducing another woman. It's just, it, it is hysterical. It just becomes so funny as he thinks he's making progress in his affections with the countess. And they're all, well, I mean, the word menage a trois does come to mind. Right? Very scandalous. It, well, it's, you know, it's scandalous, but it did pass the opera jury. It's just, it's fun. It's just silly, silly fun.
situation with our thruple end. The phrase saved by the bell comes to mind because a bell will ring and there's bugle noise outside and of course you know who's returned. The Crusaders. The Prince. The men have returned. They don't play a huge role in this but just knowing that they're coming is enough to get all the women of the Countess's household excited and they come into her bedroom with torches with lights you know we'd have flashlights these days or flip on the lights but they have torches and with the light on the countess can see what's going on and Isolier is there interestingly we mean we've known all along but he's there and he shouts out that is le comte Henri and so now he is yet again unmasked and Count Ori is beyond upset that his lowly page has bested him, has fooled him during this encounter, or so he thought, with the Countess. Mm-hmm. And our final, final piece of music is the Countess enjoying a happy ending. Listen to these songs of victory. These brave knights are returning home, and they are returning to the women who love them. And there's no real comeuppance in the end for Le Comte Henri. He kind of skulks off. Yeah. He leaves as the, the knights return home. I mean, there's no character development for this man. There's no <laughs> sense of learning, sense of any change in behavior. He's just lost this time. And you know he's going to be do- yeah. up to his old antics I'll again. I'll get you, in- my pretty. <laughs> Whoa! 
well, he'll be on to some other woman probably, but but you do have a sense of a nice happy ending for Isolier and the Countess. And that is our opera comique by Rossini. Thanks, Keely. Thanks, Pat. It was a good one. <laughs> well, let's enjoy this final piece of music from Rossini's Conte Ori. <laughs> to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera, opera for, for Everyone. everyone.